Hey everybody, happy Friday. It's Trevin McGee, back with the Scene Stealers podcast, and I'm here once again with my good friend Trey Hawk. Yay! Hey buddy, how are you? I'm doing okay. Alright, just okay? <laughs> I mean... I like that you start high and I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Well... Well, I saw The Fault in Our Stars last night. Yeah, apparently uh, we're going to talk about that here in a second, but a a real tearjerker. It really was. Many tears were jerked out of the faces of many people last night. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a second, and we're also going to talk about um, The Edge of Tomorrow, the new Tom Cruise, Doug Liman action movie where he lives, dies, and repeats over and over and over again. Then we're going to talk about some other movies that have sort of a similar plot construct where the character is forced to relive the same events over and over and over, and uh, how it's similar to this movie, how it's different, and which is better, and and how you can do a better job um, with movies like that. Because it is actually a really interesting device, and I think Groundhog Day did it so well that it doesn't really happen that often. Right, right. But anyway, before before we get carried away and start talking about that, are we going to sing sing our fake theme song? Yeah, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we had a couple of a good um, fake theme songs to uh, um, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, we'll get to that later yeah. on. Yeah, but uh, they, if they're you're coming. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> but no, tell me all about Fault in Our Stars, the new Sh- Shailene Woodley. Yeah, right. Sh- Shailene Woodley, and... who's just just totally. I mean, since the Descendants has just become a pretty outstanding actress in her own right i mean is she good in this yeah she's she's fantastic in fact that the cast it's shailene woodley ansel elgort and i I haven't heard of him before i don't know Uh, why with a name that catchy yeah Mm. exactly easy to remember or or ansel elgort um and then laura dern plays shailene woodley's mother hazel's Mm -hmm. mother um, and then Willem Dafoe actually makes an appearance in this. Okay. So as the film went on, I kind of realized that I I had not done my research on this because I went in with absolutely zero expectations. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was it was based on a YA novel, and that I was thinking in terms of the Twilight. Series, yeah, frankly, from the and, and the uh, host. Yeah, to be fair the marketing and advertising has done a lot of that legwork for you. So sure. So you're not sure. like pulling that out of thin air. It's been marketed that way. I think so. And it was kind of like, I was like, oh, is this just going to be the YA, ver- the YA drama version of like 50-50 or something <laughs> along those lines? Um, and to be, to be honest, I'm pretty rough on sickness or cancer films. Yeah. And so, so I went in this into this film with pretty much zero expectations. And as the film went on, I realized I had pretty much underestimated. So Shailene Woodley, to give you a brief synopsis, Shailene Woodley plays Hazel, uh, a young woman who is, I guess, struggling with has has had a long term struggle since her early teens with cancer mm-hmm. and she has a form of lung cancer um or or a form of i think it's a lymphoma that has metastasized anyway right now the problem in the story as it stands the problem is the tumors in her lungs she has them stabilized but her lungs because of the cancer don't function well so she is just sick all the time basically and she is a sort of stoic. Philosophically, she's sort of a stoic. Like, hey, we're all going to die. It's okay. It's just, that's, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Yeah. But you can tell that there is the sort of longing that would be in any 18-year-old who is intelligent and kind of can see her own death, that there's sort of this longing for all of the things that most likely she's not going to experience. Um. And even though she puts up a strong face and and puts up a you know a good front, right? She still you can tell that there's there's this longing in her. Yeah, and, she's a kid. She doesn't right. want to die. Right. Exactly. And her parents like really want her to go to these support groups because she's depressed, and she has no interest in them. You right. know, most of it is just. And in fact, the one the one kind of gripe I had 
being a survivor of testicular cancer myself, hmm. is that testicular cancer is the cancer that you can make fun of because it's easily survivable. Right. So like the main guy who runs the support group and sings all of the songs about Jesus and is just a goof, he he's he had testicular cancer. Um, and so Hazel doesn't really have much respect for this guy's lame old ball cancer. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that's a gripe. I, I think there are better ways that they could have gone about it. Um, you know, I... <laughs> Having having been a survivor of cancer myself, testicular specifically, one I am not that dude, and two, it's it's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. It's, it's having still, had still cancer. Yeah, still having cancer. had other friends who have had it also, and significantly worse cancer, worse versions of it than me. You know, still cancer. Yeah, still, still, you know, not the laughable cancer. Right. Um, so anyway, but that's a minor gripe and it was really an aside and it's just so that they could build a character who basically had a traditional kind of goofy outlook like, Hey, every day you're not, you're not dying of cancer. You're living of cancer. Like the main characters don't have much patience for that type of attitude. Right. And that was the thing that was, I think, very refreshing about this film is that it's a film about characters with cancer who are trying to find the sort of joy and, and the reason to live without the ability to be sort of overly hokey and sentimental about it. Right. Because I think that's one of the things that always really bother me about sickness films in general is they become these overly sentimental exercises. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that there's not some sentimentality and some overt romance and things like that. Um, in this film. In this film. Right. The main character, or the main male character, Augustus, actually is pretty silly um, and, and relatively not believable. But... Shailene Woodley's performance within Hazel and Ansel Elgort, or whatever his name is, um, his performance is pretty grounded. Um, So you, it's it's relatively forgivable. Um, For the most part, there is a lack of sentimentality. Um, These characters have terminal diseases. If you do not expect them to suffer terribly then do not see this movie. This is not, this is not just a feel-good movie. Um, it's, not, it's not an easy fix here. Right. In fact, there, re- there really is no fix. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's the part. That's really brave, honestly, for a movie that's billed as a young adult kind of, you know, summer romance type movie to, yeah. to make those kind of choices and do that, especially with somebody like Shailene Woodley who's coming off divergent and uh films like that that have have kind of established her as you know kind of a a a jennifer lawrence in training yeah it's a pretty you know that's a pretty ballsy move on a lot of parts on the studio to put it out at that time and then on the actors and and cast to make that kind of movie yeah i mean i think it's i think like i said i was very pleasantly surprised and I'm not going to be nitpicky about this one at all because, and I could be, um, uh, not because it's it has a lot of things that are bad about it because it's yeah. really pretty good. Um, and so I'm giving this one a solid rock fist up. As awesome. weird as that seems, I was I really was shocked based on a YA novel. I had low expectations. Shailene Woodley's character having a strong female character as the lead, yeah, within any romance where we're focused on her there is a romantic relationship that develops mm-hmm. um and and the characters for all good reasons are very ambivalent about the development of this romantic relationship because they're both dying you know they're both going to die they have terminal illnesses right um uh and yet they they you know, their romance does sort of slowly develop and it develops believably. Um, they both 
they both are allowed to sort of struggle through things instead of things being too easy for them. Yeah. So I think, I think on the whole, this one just made the thing about this is that the director who is Josh Boone, I believe Josh Boone. Yeah. Josh Boone. And, um, but Josh Boone made all the right choices with this. He allowed his characters to be good, well-developed characters who had flaws, who had problems, who have bad days, who have to suffer the consequences of their choices. And then he also allowed them to suffer, you know, that, hey, I'm going to struggle through this. I'm going to push through this. Um, There was one conversation, and I'll wrap this up very quickly because it's like I'm just going to belabor this because it's it's a solid film. But there's one conversation that I found very touching. Now, I never had to face any sort of sort of terminal demise except for the sort of terminal demise that all of us in general must face our own mortality with my cancer. I knew that it was largely treatable. I knew that that I wasn't going to die because of this. Right. Um. So I didn't have the same concerns that these characters did. But there was a wonderful conversation between Shailene Woodley's character, Hazel, and her mother, uh, who's played by Laura Dern. Mm -hmm. Um, And Laura Dern's okay. Um, uh, Not great, but okay. Believable as the mother. Um, and, And Hazel says to the mom, the mom says something like, you know... I just want to take care of you or some something to that effect. Yeah. And Hazel says, that's what's bothering me. I feel like when I'm gone, you two will just fall apart to her mom and dad. And she goes, and that breaks my heart. Like that kills me that you two are going to fall apart. I want to know that you're going to go on and live good lives and whatever. And the mom basically says, you of all people should know she she says, when you go, it's going to hurt. But you of all people should know that you can live a full life with pain. And it's just this kind of amazing statement of a mom saying to this child who's dying of a terminal illness, like, yeah, we'll move on. And, and, And she's like, oh, why didn't you tell me this? And both of the parents are like, we didn't want you to feel like we were replacing you. Or we were already moving on without you. Right. And it was, you know, it's that level of sort of fraught with complexity yeah. that this film brings. That's a very mature way to address something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought this film was very, very good. Um, and I would, I'm would, i giving it a solid rock fist up. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about Edge of Tomorrow. The, and this uh, will jerk some tears this will for jerk. all of the other <laughs> all of the other reasons. This this effectively was jerking some tears. Uh, um So, yeah, let me set it up really quick. Uh, okay. the, the trailers the trailers have to spend an exorbitant amount of time getting the point across, but the gist is it's a sci-fi movie directed by Doug Liman, who I actually enjoy his action films. And I get the feeling. And what that are I, some of the other action films? Uh, just... He did the Firstborn Identity. Is his, okay, his kind of his first. That's his first action film because he did Made, and I don't remember what he did before. Maybe Swingers. I think he did Swingers. Did and, he do Swingers? I think he did Swingers, and then I know he did Made, and then um, his first sort of foray into action was Born Identity. Then his big success was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He actually walked away from the future Born movies and just produced on. Um, supremacy and ultimatum and then has nothing to do with the jeremy renner one right legacy right. i think probably um, just cashing paychecks yeah on those last yeah. two he probably just did um but i've always enjoyed his action 
uh, direction. Uh, I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a not a very good movie, but I think that the action choreography and the way that he chooses to shoot some of the bigger um, action scenes in that movie are great. I love what he did with the first Born Identity movie, and between him and Paul Greengrass, they kind of set the tone across the 2000s for action movies and their use of shaky cam to uh, you know establish things like immediacy and brutality and conflict. And um, um, but but Lyman did it better, I would argue. I think that Lyman's action sequences have always felt very meticulously planned and you get to see what's going on um this is a tom cruise vehicle Uh, the only other uh, there's two other actors worth noting just because they're in the majority of the film with him emily blunt um plays this uh uh, fellow uh comrade this comrade warrior rita i thought you were gonna say she plays a fellow she plays othello (laughs) she plays othello she plays othello yeah to tom cruise's iago and i was about to say and bill paxton plays iago Um, yeah bill paxton no let tom cruise have have iago and then uh let bill paxton be dulcinea or whatever it is like uh, now we're going into other places so the the (laughs) the other two actors worth noting are um emily blunt and bill paxton um it's a sci-fi film and the premise is it's in the future. There's been an alien invasion, essentially in Europe, um, which I thought was a very intelligent and interesting choice to put in Europe. Um, and not to get ahead of myself, but I get the feeling, based on our little bits of conversation, that I enjoyed it more in hindsight than you did. I think you've liked it less with time, and I've liked it more with time. But we'll get to that in a yeah, second. Yeah, we'll, we'll chat about that here in a minute. There's an alien invasion in Europe, um, and there are these creatures called Mimics, they're very intelligent, and they get their names because they copy human behaviors and acts, and it makes them very formidable on the battlefield. The film starts, and, and Tom Cruise's character is a um, PR officer, basically. He's a major in the Army, but he's never really had um, an on, a boots-on-the-ground type role. He's always He was in ROTC. He did a little bit of time uh, post-graduation, and... Now he's just a marketing man to get enlistment numbers up and things like that. Yeah, he's a marketing guy because he's he he's is incredibly basically, good at it. he's good at it, but he's also kind of a coward. Um, he, yeah. he he does this so he does not yeah. have to be on the front. So um, the film begins with him kind of selling the war through a pretty I thought effective montage. I'm a sucker for the opening movie montage where sure. you know. The the one in The Road Warrior is fantastic, where they're like, here are the rules, right. now here's the movie. Like, right. we're going to set up the rules to this, there's no gas, everybody's Almost crazy. like a Starship Troopers yeah. Verhoes, Verhoeven, like, yeah. fill in the blanks, yep. now I'm just going to go for it. Here's what happens, yeah. and now that like we've set up the parameters, and we're going to go. And so it, it does a pretty effective montage where it does that, and then we jump to Tom Cruise's character being told by Brendan Gleeson, the guy who's in charge of this entire European war effort, that he's going to be on the ground. Cruz is going to be on the ground um, as part of a documentary team to watch this, to, to, to broadcast and sell this war. And um, he does not want to do that. <laughs> right. That is not what he signed up for. And some things happen, and eventually um, they don't go his way, and he ends up being enlisted um, and has to be in that, that opening assault. On stripped this, of on rank, this beach. Yeah. yeah, stripped of rank, enlisted as a private. Some um, some more things happen that I don't want to spoil. He eventually ends up in this sort of time loop where he's not sure how it happens, but when he dies, he the day resets. the day resets to when he first gets on the base. So the previous twenty four hours cycle back, and he wakes up again in the barracks, getting ready to get his his uh, his enrollment or his enlistment sheets and and his bunk and. That's kind of that's the that those are the rules that are set up for so that's why uh, we have live die repeat on the posters because that's what he does, um, and I think now you know now we can just kind of get into it. I um, in hindsight the, there were some things that were kind of lost on me when I first watched it, um, so I'll start with the positive things because I'm a mixed bag, but I think I'm more positive than than. Uh, negative i'm i think i'm more positive than you are on it um the good things real quick um i loved the sense of immediacy on the battlefield i thought the way that all of the battlefield scenes are shot was very much it felt very much like he was trying to do a very serious version of 
um, almost like a Saving Private Ryan-esque beachhead type invasion. It was very immediate. It felt very real. And I don't know if I've just been watching CG effects for so long that my brain can't distinguish them anymore, like if that's finally worn off on me, but I was very impressed at how realistic much of the battlefield stuff was. The mimic designs are shit. Like they're not they're pretty bad. Yeah. But the actual the battle scenes, I was I was surprised at how realistic a lot of that looked to me. Sure. Um so I thought any time that you got to see those those scenes with uh Lyman directs those very well and they're very gritty and very immediate and that was one of my favorite parts of the film. Um I, I liked Emily Blunt's character a lot, the way that, that she played it. Although she doesn't have a lot to work with, she still was able to inject a lot of personality into um, her character and made her more than just kind of a, a grunt or a goon that, you know, she's very she's very direct and she doesn't mess around. Um, and I like that. Um, but one of the dumbest, like, I mean, it's not dumb, it's very important, but it's a silly thing to talk about for an extended period of time is the editing on this movie is yeah. awesome. I mean, it's. I know it's a sort of feedback loop movie where the the same events get um, told and retold over and over again. And if it, if they'd had one fewer montage, which is one of my negative things, um, I probably would feel even better about it. But the use of editing to show, in, in the way the story reveals how he's done certain things over and over and over again, and as the audience, we don't know that sometimes. I thought sure. that was very cool that they were willing to do that. And they play it to dramatic effect at one point in the film, but there are many times where um, it's it's just kind of alluded to or cast off. Like, we don't really have an idea of how many times he's relived this day. Right. And, they're, and, and the way that they treat that is very um, interesting and compelling to me that they, they went that route. So I, I thought that was great. Some of my negative things, I mean, way too many montages. It gets exhausting. It looks, it, it's only two hours long. It's only right right around two hours. And I remember kind of stealthily checking my watch thinking, God, this movie's going to be two and a half hours long. It had been 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wears on you pretty quick. <clears throat> uh, the ragtag bunch of goons sure, sure. is pretty is pretty, you know, like boilerplate and tiresome and, and considering they're thrown in there to solve yeah. a problem. Yeah. And they it's, don't, they're not really, really given a lot of characterization. Right. Yeah. There's so, not much for them um, to do. You know, it's like, you've got the, the hard boiled woman with a mouth on her and yeah. you've got, you know, you've got this, like, this like gross kind of like comic relief fat guy. Sure. Who there's... like wears his jock strap on the battlefield. Yeah. And then you've got kind of like the thuggish short haired, like dude who, you know, is mouthy talk. and yeah. he's going to start a fight. And then you've got the kind of quiet, thoughtful, you know, reluctant leader. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, so they're very much just kind of thrown in there to solve, uh, you know, to solve a plot problem in, on multiple levels. But for as much as the the beginning and, and middle of the film are very, you know, it kept me guessing and it was very uh, inventive and in, in ways and held my attention for a little bit. The last third of the movie just drags. And for it being so unique at the outset, it settles into like, it, it settles into just dumb blockbuster territory at the end like the, right. the climax sucks i yeah. hate the ha i hated the last 15 or 20 minutes of the movie yeah uh, you know i would say and i would say there's there comes a point where because there th th there's always the problem of what what's at stake when right. you have a character who can die and then just reboot yeah you have difficulty with what's at stake you're basically watching 90 minutes of him learning how to achieve his goals. Right. So that you can basically get to the beginning of what is ultimately a half an hour, 20 minute short film, where now that you know this character yeah. and you hit the ground running. Because you, to all put it in sudden, video game terms, it's like he speed runs right. the level, basically. Like he, right. he does it enough times, he dies enough times that he can like speed run the battle. Right. right. Yeah, you, know. you can just you can just bounce to the next checkpoint. Yeah. We know you've done this enough times. You just bump to the next yeah. checkpoint. I found I do think I I may even have found the montages more tiresome than you did. Um, 
I know that, that that you wanted them trimmed and you thought that they were a little bit tiresome. They didn't need the training one at all. That that one sucks. Yeah, that yeah. one was a huge waste I mean, of time. I feel like once we know that that's what's going on, yeah. two or three quick cuts, you know, max 20 to 30 seconds, and, and we know exactly what's happening. So you don't need to kind of embellish. Um, you don't need to embellish that part of it as long as he's learning and figuring out now the one sort of subversion of that which i did think was interesting and i think they handled in a much different way was as the emotional develop emotional relationship between emily blunt's character and tom cruise's character starts to develop and you also realize so emily blunt's character had had this power at one point so just in case spoiler alert i'm going to put the dome down i don't think any of this would spoil it no. Um, because I think you can figure this out very quickly. Um, because as soon as Tom Cruise's character gets that power, you all of a sudden start questioning the other character. Right. <clears throat> and so that, to me, wasn't a surprise at all. But what you find out is that Emily Blunt's character had had this power at one point, and there is a specific set of circumstances that caused her to lose the power. Yeah. And so she is aware that he is able to know stuff about her, even though she, because every time the day reboots, she meets him anew. Yeah. But she knows she's aware because she has had this power at one point that he could have all of this information that she just doesn't realize she has. So, um, so I think as, you know, as they started kind of playing with the sort of emotional relationship between the two of them, I thought it was, I thought that was very interesting and a little subversion. And the one place where I thought you could kind of expand out the montaginess of it. Yeah. But, but really, for the most part, I think you trim all of those montages. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later when we talk about other films who use this sort of reboot, the relive this day, or, or relive the life that you've just led. Um, and, and, so, and so, you know, we'll talk about those in other films that do this very effectively. And my problem with Edge of Tomorrow is that I started to really become aware of the convention, and I started yeah. to really get bored. Yeah. And so so that would to me was basically the f- the fatal flaw with this film. Not offensive. I wasn't angry right. when I was leaving. Some of the action scenes were very good. Um I kind of wonder why Emily Blunt does films like this. I think she's excellent. Yeah. I think she's a really great actress. She's great. Yeah. And I think she's she's wasted in these roles. Yeah, and she, you know, she doesn't do a ton of them. I, I thought that this was kind of an interesting, you know, casting choice yeah. for her. It's, you know, the closest she's gotten to this is like Looper. Sure, sure, know? sure. But yeah, yeah I, th- there were there were a lot of things they could have explored and gone with, and um, they didn't go those routes. And we got the movie we got. Um, my biggest problem was just the, the the last fifteen or twenty minutes where it just becomes every other action movie ever made. Right. I just kind of hated it. I did love the last scene. I thought that was really like sharp, where they just kind of write themselves into a corner and they're like, yep. and then they just, and then they, it. And yeah. They, yeah, I, I like. I wish a lot. it had been even more ambiguous. Yeah, because I mean, to me, they were already written into the corner. Is and and, and we're not going to say anything that will spoil it. But when you get to the end of this film, you'll realize, oh wow, we've we've yeah. kind of shown up in a place where there's really nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, it's a cop out. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's just like yeah. every, I mean, Tom Cruise likes his movies a certain way. Yeah. You know, and a lot of movies get made because his name's attached and that he carries a certain amount. And especially when he's an executive producer, it carries a certain amount of weight. Of course. Um, and this one slips into familiar Tom Cruise territory. You know, I won't spoil it, but if you've seen Oblivion or if you've seen other movies that exist entirely because he was attached to them, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that, I, th- I think that bothered me more than anything. Cause you were talking about how there aren't any stakes and that's true to a degree. Um, but I really liked, there's a moment early on where, or earlier at least he, 
he gets to a point where he's he can't go any further without this specific person dying. Right. And I was like, that's a really compelling thing for right. him to say. I don't. I've I've ran this. I've gotten this far every time. It's the and Superman. I can't conundrum. figure out how to get. Like I cannot save you. Right. And then and I was like, that's that's really great. Like he can't. You know, even with this great ability, he can't save this one person he cares about. That's that's actually compelling. You right. Know? And then they then they just write their way out of it. You right. know, they they just get they go a different. It. They direction. just go a different direction. Right. And I, but there are moments like that where mm-hmm. I'm like, this is really. This is really interesting, or you know, like when he's he he the only person he can kind of bond with is her because she's she's the closest to someone who knows what he's going through. Even right. though he has to reintroduce himself every day, even though he has to run through the, the scenario every day, even though he has to like start from scratch with her every day, he's done it enough times that he knows her. And there are a couple of moments that are you know quietly. Com- or compelling, quietly fascinating, where he doesn't want to move forward with and, the next. And what step, you're talking about you is know? basically the emotional montage. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. and I liked that. I yeah. liked I liked when they presented him with human problems. You know, um, because otherwise, yeah, it's just a guy who's got to learn how to fight so he can. It's just a guy who's got to learn how to kick ass better than everybody else, right. so that he can save the day. Like that's what the movie is when it's not when they're not exploring the kind of emotional and and personal ramifications of what this could mean right um there are it's it's funnier in moments than i thought it would be there's there's a there's a like surprise joke where he um when he first figures out how to get away from his his uh um platoon right um his first attempt at that is really funny and uh, and caught me totally and super flawed and bill paxton actually gets to be awesome yeah at that moment yeah um, and there's, there are a few other moments that are pretty, um, I do think Bill surprising. Paxton fans will love this film. Yeah. If you're a big, He's if you're great. a big Bill, if you're a big Bill Paxton fan, I wanted, I wanted him kicking more ass. He doesn't get, you don't get to see him like yeah do awesome battlefield yeah. stuff but he gets to really you know he's a character actor's character actor and he gets to really you know ham it up in this yeah. one and it's, it's a, really it's i mean he's pretty great so where do you come down on it you know i'm i'm gonna do a minor rock fist down i just i don't feel like i can come out of a movie bored and somewhat yeah. disappointed and give it any better than a minor rock fist down I didn't hate this film. I thought it there were things about it that were very entertaining, and we've mentioned a lot of positives. But I think on the whole, I do come down on the negative side. Um, I, I thought it was really felt drug out, even longer yeah. than than the than it actually, actually was. is. Yeah. Um, and and I wish that Tom Cruise's character could have shown more development. But I think that's probably just more of a critique of how I see Tom Cruise as an actor than anything else. Yeah. Um, that basically casting him at all is miscasting him. Yeah. Um, the especially these days where he seems to be, I think he's just a little too old to be playing the characters that he's playing. Yeah. Um, and I think if this were a hot shot like thirty-five-year-old who was, you know, had always been able to talk his way out of everything, yeah. and, and do, I think it if it were been, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think Bradley Cooper would have been an inspired choice. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, so I just think there are too many things that are just a little bit off and just a little bit wrong. Not, you know, not like overwhelming, but enough to where I've got to come down minor rock fist down. Yeah, and I'm not too far away from you, but I'm, I'm going to go minor rock fist up for just a couple of reasons. I, I really, I, I enjoyed when they challenged the character with those sort of human moments. Um I really the only the the biggest faults I have with it are the final fifteen minutes, and uh, that's a big fifteen minutes to not like though. It is, yeah. It's it's kind of the most important <laughs> part of the movie. Um, actually, it's not the most important part's in the middle, but it's it it's the rev, you know climax and resolution of the entire sure. you know hour and forty five minutes that came before it. So yeah. you know if you can't stick the landing, then who gives a shit about the routine you just did. Um, and then, you know, we've already talked about it, the montages too many and not really effective. They, they could have scrapped at least one. And sure. Better. So now we're going to talk about um, movies that similarly have um, explored this kind of time loop with a main character, or even with a side character. And 
how they've done that differently and and better, and then how they kind of have subverted that idea or done it in a different way than than Edge of Tomorrow did. Sure. So we'll start. I guess we the best place to start, of course, and the one that people always think of for good reason is Groundhog Day. Um, and we talked a little bit about this, just chatted very briefly when we were kind of coming up with this idea. Yeah. And and we batted some some films around, and I think we'll probably touch on a lot of these, but, you know, like It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Carol. You actually mentioned Looper, and I didn't even think of that, and I think yeah. that would actually be a pretty appropriate one to talk about also. And most of these films are are time travel in nature in some way, shape, or form, either sort of in fantasy or in dream or in vision or in whatever, or right. in reality within the constructs of the, the reality within the film. But we, you know, uh, also wanted to mention Primer as, as a film that kind of does this, that has sure. sort of builds this feedback loop. But one of the things that I find so compelling about Groundhog Day that makes it just such a great film is that though we are consistently reliving the same day over and over what is being learned isn't just to solve sort of plot devices so it's not just simply like playing a level in a video game over and over until you get the series of jumps right and until you know where the characters are coming from and and to go back to the edge of tomorrow, there are scenes that are exactly that. He just knows where to anticipate yeah. the the things. He does, For the most, he, he literally does no look kills like he, two separate times where he's just done it enough that he knows where he has to where go. he has to shoot when. Or like one of my favorite bits at the end of Groundhog Day is when he's lived the day enough that he is almost like a guardian angel. You know, like he catches that kid when he falls out of the tree. He does all those kind of things. Exactly. Gives that guy the Heimlich maneuver. Like he writes all the wrongs in this town. There's a scene in Edge of Tomorrow that's similar to that where he saves this guy and then runs over here and throws a grenade for no reason. And then a thing jumps out and it, like he, he goes around the battlefield and does kind right. of he the same. He preemptively throws a grenade yeah. to blow up something that hasn't even yeah, jumped it, it out. pops out of the ground right as the grenade like goes off <laughs> goes in its face and he's just kind of running around and killing all these things in yeah and so like within the edge of tomorrow it is comedic at times but it really is much more sort of plot device and i think that's that's one of the things that's so brilliant about groundhog day is that everything that bill murray's character does in groundhog day is based very deeply in that character and so as soon as he finds out, oh my gosh, I live this over and over again, that means there are no ramifications, no consequences, nothing. And he's just the most awful version of himself he can right. be. And then being that makes him, upsets him because he realizes that... Yeah, he it's, wallows it's, in his own misery and it doesn't work out for him. Right. You know? you know, or he wallows in his own sort of narcissism and that doesn't work out. And then that makes him depressed because all he has ever done his entire life is wallow in his own narcissism. Yeah. Now he's depressed and so he tries to kill himself over and over and that's hilarious because he just keeps waking up back where he was. Yeah. And then finally, you know, he comes to some sort of acceptance and realizes that you know, or, or he starts taking the steps to real sort of emotional growth. Yeah. And so even though the plot, like the, the stuff that happens, repeats over and over again, the character very specifically has this very, very sort of normal narrative arc where as things happen to this character, this character goes through a set of sort of emotional and psychological changes and comes out the other side. A better person. Yeah, a better person or a different person. Right. And so so even though Groundhog Day, on the one hand, as far as the plot devices and things that are being employed, is incredibly complex, it is also very, very simple. And I think that, that a film like Edge of Tomorrow is getting a little too 
could have been better served to put more emphasis in the character and less emphasis in the stuff that happens. Yeah, because he's basically it's basically just a long training montage, right? Like that that boot that reboot is just a long training montage, and they throw a love interest in because it's a Hollywood movie and they have to. Exactly. If if they had just been friends in that movie, because I liked the moments in Edge of Tomorrow where he's kind of beholden to her because she's the only one that gets what's going on, right? And that he, she's the only person who can identify with anything that's happening to him. Yeah. And if there had been like a camaraderie there and that was it, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, this is a good, sure, this is a good way to go. Yeah, but, if it was two soldiers on the battlefield, yeah, yeah, that would have been better. That would have been better, but it had to be a Hollywood movie and turn into this kind of half assed love story thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, but we're talking about Groundhog Day. I really, I think you're right, though. I mean, it, it is more of an emotional journey that he has to take, and it's just very, you know, it's just funny on the way there. Um, and I, I mentioned it um, on accident, but it kind of fits. Like we were going to talk about a Christmas Carol, but um, a movie where Bill Murray wallows in his own misery and has to relive it and figure out how to fix it is Scrooged. Sure, which is you know another. I mean, that's a great um, sort of modernization of even though it's like thirty years old now, it's a great modernization <laughs> right. of of uh, a Christmas Carol and another great example of having to relive your life or. That movie and, and the Christmas Carol in general um, is more from an observational standpoint. The character doesn't get to go back and change things, but he has to reobserve things that happened in his life that shaped him into who he is. And exactly. It's it's a it's a little different, but it's still pretty. The, the theme, but the content the is basically the same, the same. Yeah. right? You know, because in Groundhog Day, he gets to relive this film and comes to an understanding of him or this this day and comes to an understanding of himself in Scrooge during a Christmas carol he gets to go back and look at what he has done right and basically what he has lost over the course of his life but it is still a reliving that kind of forces the character to come out the other end a different a changed person right yeah yeah same with it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. but in that it, they, you get the comparison of here is what this world is with you and here is what this world is without you. So it's instead of all you do is you change the character from a narcissist and mm-hmm. somebody who is, an, uh, you know, uh, is, is focused, is all ego and all focused on themselves to somebody who is depressed, yeah. who is like the world would be better without me. And so what you show them is not the life that they have led. Right. But you show them what the world would be without them and that things would be worse without them. So, um, you know, it's like, hey, if the world didn't have you, your brother would be dead and yeah. all of these people wouldn't have homes. Martini and... wouldn't have a restaurant. Right, exactly. <laughs> He'd be stuck in Pottersville with the yeah. rest of those dicks. Exactly. So, so... They should make an alternate version of that where the angel shows someone what their life would be like if they hadn't existed. And it's way it's better. better. It's, it's like better, better for everybody. Yeah. Like if they did that with like Dick Cheney yeah. or somebody, it's like, this is what it'd be like I, you if know you what were it, never and, and if Sarah Silverman was the angel. Yeah. That'd I be think amazing. that'd be great. That'd be amazing. That'd be great. Oh yeah. Wait. Oh, I guess I'm not going to get my wings this time. Cause yeah. man, life would be so much better without you. Way better without Good you. Good luck killing yourself. Bye. Yeah. I'm just going to fly really high and drop you from here. Yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned Looper. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think Looper is is interesting because it, it shifts the perspective. The person who knows that the person who knows everything about what's going on is the one who we're not able to to see, because like, right. it's uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's Levitt's character. Um, that he hasn't lived his life fully yet. So he hasn't become Bruce Willis. And so, you know, we get it from his perspective, but he puts enough together to like figure out the puzzle and sort of make a choice on how to, in that case, not change the future or like change the future by changing the present. Yeah. They're both trying to change their their own it's interesting and i really like the sort of time paradox and looper and i don't care that it breaks if you think about it for too long um but they're both trying to change their futures yeah by altering the present 
you know, and one's coming at it from an old man's perspective who's built this whole life and lived this whole experience. And you talk about an effective montage. Of course, yeah. Loopers where you you see his entire life in... In the course of five, ten minutes. In the course of a five-minute montage, maybe even less than that. Yeah. Um, That's a good use of a montage. (laughs) That's a great use of it. In a time travel movie or a time travel perspective, that's a great way to do that. And I think Looper actually is a really good example because you mentioned the sort of plot device that's employed in Looper. And if you think about it specifically, the film will break apart. But who cares? I have yet to meet anybody who has watched Looper and enjoyed Looper who gives a crap about... You know, the sort of particulars in that. Yeah. And the reason why is the same reason that Groundhog Day is great. And the same reason that Scrooge is fantastic and A Christmas Carol is great and, and It's a Wonderful Life. It is because the focus is solidly on the characters. Yeah, if you're watching any of those for proper use of time travel yeah, and exactly. quantum mechanics. I mean, if you're talking about proper use of time travel, screw you. Yeah. Screw you. Does yeah. not exist, yeah. at least as we understand it. So yeah. screw you. Don't tell me proper use of time this travel. Would, every, literally every decision would create a time paradox. Yeah. It's not like one thing. It's every... Yeah, shut up. Yeah, shut yeah. up. You're ruining it. How do, yeah. you, how do you enjoy anything? Yeah, and how do you kill vampires? Yeah. How do you kill vampires? Because right. time travel, they're kind of like vampires. Right now, they are fake. Yeah. So, yeah, I just... You know, and so I think that that's... I think they could have you know, to sort of bring it back to Edge of Tomorrow a little bit with the conversation, I think they could have spent more time on the characters. Yeah. Um, or just made them more than just, you know, and she makes a reference that's like, you're a weapon. You're not a person. Yeah. You're a weapon, you know. And, and they, they treat them like that, but I wish they hadn't because I don't want to watch a movie about a weapon. I yeah. want to watch a movie about a guy who's stuck in a situation that he doesn't really understand and has to, you know, is forced to make it better. Doesn't just decide to because he's like, because they never really address that either. They don't really address like, why is he compelled to do? Yeah. Why does he any, just like any keep it. giving up? Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like I don't really care. I guess they didn't. I mean, they didn't need to do a depressed and whatever montage. Lonely like montage. In, like yeah, they didn't do it. Need to spend another like five minutes doing another montage on another, you know, angle. But they don't really explore the character enough to explain why. You he know, would the first montage could have does. been much more confused yeah. than it was. He figures it out very quickly. Yeah. And so the first montage, I think, could have been well-served if it was much more confused and scattered and weird and yeah. moments of depression and who cares and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then hustled every single other montage along much quicker because now we get it. Yeah, we get cut the device. that fucking training montage. That's Ugh. the biggest waste of time. Total waste of time. And, and it really comes at an inopportune time because he's just figuring yeah. out how things work. He's just met an ally. And so they've got all these pieces in place that they can do something interesting with. Yeah. And then they just totally derail the momentum they've built up to at that point with this, like, just kind of repetitive, boring montage that doesn't really do anything yeah. for anybody. I, I think that they, you know, they rely too heavily on the fact that Emily, Emily Blunt is a great actor. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is a known entity. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's it. Known person, Tom yeah, Cruise. Right. I mean, that's what he is. He's not a good actor. No. Um, although this film does offer uh, additional footage for his running montage. If you guys have not seen that on YouTube. Yeah. Now he gets to run in a power loader suit. Exactly. Which is, you know, a new way to do it. Yeah. But I liked that too. I liked the soft sci-fi stuff. I liked the hard sci-fi stuff that was just... You know the and and it is based on um, a Japanese not eh, novella I guess it's not really a it's longer than a short story but it's not a full novel, um, but the they all wear these sort of battle armor suits called jackets and uh, charge around the battlefield and you know run faster than normal and can jump higher and you know they're just they're exosuits and it's it was fun to watch how that worked right. Yeah. There are some really cool things um, in it, the more I think about it, but it's just... But they're cool it's things. so uneven. And, and if you yeah, had the so character uneven. to back that up, yeah. it would. this would have been a great movie. And yeah. and what we're citing, kind of as we're talking about all of these other films that will employ similar devices... Yeah. Is that there's just there's just a pretty sincere lack of character. And I think it starts with the script, because Emily Blunt's character 
has touches of of depth. Yeah. But it never is really allowed. She's like, she's just six, six inches to the left of a tragic character. Right. And right. she makes some allusion to it, and it would have been really cool if they'd explored that or done anything more with it. But she just makes this kind of quick statement about something that she had to deal with when she was in, when she had the the power, the groundhog power, right. um, groundhog power. But um, <laughs> they could have done something really cool with that, and they just didn't. Yeah. And so anyway, I think we've we've talked it through. So I think we've got it. All right. Well, we're gonna go. And uh, we'll be back. <laughs> We're out of here. We're out of here. We're done with you people. Yep. We'll be back next week. And uh, until then, have a good one. Yeah. Adios. Adios. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Trevin McGee uh, here with the Scene Stealers podcast again. Uh, my friend Trey Hawk. Hey. Hey, buddy. Um, we're going to talk about a few movies today. We're going to talk about The Fault in Our Stars. Very sad uh, Shailene Woodley movie. And uh, <laughs> we're going to the saddest, the saddest of the Shailene Woodley movies, <laughs> including The Descendants. And then we're going to move on and talk about The Edge of Tomorrow, new Tom Cruise and Doug Lyman action sci fi flick. And finally, we're going to move on to explore the sort of plot device storytelling mechanic that's present in Edge of Tomorrow. And is also in other movies that people may not think about. The do it again. Do this day again or revisit your life. Exactly. Yeah. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Trevin McGee with the Scene Stealers podcast. I'm here once more with Trey Hawk. Hey! Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Uh, we've got a couple of movies to talk about today. We're going to uh, start with Shailene Woodley's The Fault in Our Stars. So sad. Uh, yeah. And then when we're done um, having our tears jerked, we'll uh, talk about the new Tom Cruise, Doug Lyman sci-fi vehicle, Edge of Tomorrow. Because it's the edge of tomorrow. <laughs> dangerize. We're going to dangerize. And then when that's, uh, that's our theme for Edge of Tomorrow. And then... Um, when that's all done, we're going to talk about other movies that employ the same plot device. Because, the let's do this day again. Yeah. The, the the power of the groundhog will be fully harnessed. Dio. And we'll discuss it <laughs> in this week's podcast. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Trevin McGee with the Scene Stealers podcast. <laughs>